Welcome everyone to the Religious Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Mazurk. Today we have with us Rick Brower. He has done a class uh, entitled Joab, The Lord Will Repay, and in six classes, and I'll be throwing up the PowerPoint uh, along with this uh, this podcast. It's episode three. Uh, Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks Cam. Thanks for having me. So, what it, overall, with these six classes, Joab, The Lord Will Repay, what is that all about? Uh, sure. Um, I When I first started uh, looking at the notes uh, and some of the things that I've been studying uh, about the life of David and, and Joab, uh, it just kind of struck me. I had always had an, an impression uh, for, for uh, being exposed to the Bible uh, for you know basically all my life. Uh, I always thought that uh, you know Joab was the you know the great warrior that he was, and that he was kind of David's right-hand man, his sidekick, and uh, everything was uh, you know hunky-dory between the two uh, for the for their entire careers. But uh, you really, when you when you start getting into the the biblical texts, you realize that there was uh, a lot of negativity uh, in their relationship, and uh, I, I just thought it was kind of a thread. I started pulling at it and uh, trying to trying to make sense of of how they got along together. Also, uh, just trying to dig out some lessons for us today, uh, just uh, some uh, important uh, and difficult moral and ethical questions that, that come up between those two men uh, throughout the storyline in, in Kings and Chronicles. And I, and I thought it was uh, some valuable information, so I, I, I use that as a, as a source topic for my classes. The first class is called David's Mighty Men. Do you want to give us a summary of that class? Sure. Um, yeah, that's really where, I mean, obviously, uh, Joab comes into the storyline of David. Uh, he he is, uh, he's a family member, uh, extended family member of, of David, and uh, he joins up with about, uh, I think I think it's about 400 others uh, that tells us there in the text, and um, we kind of, we kind of join in uh, and enter David's life at a rough time. Uh, he's been, he's been anointed king uh, by Samuel, but uh, he doesn't, have a kingdom. He doesn't have a, a, a group of subjects who are willing to accept him. Uh, Saul, of course, the first king of Israel, is still alive, and so it's almost like it's almost like we've got the biblical version of Robin Hood uh, in 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 David and his mighty men there, uh, and kind of running running around, shooting from the hip, uh, fighting uh, and plundering wherever they wherever they will. Um, they make they make some good choices and bad, but uh, that's really where the where the relationship starts, uh, at least from what we know of in the text uh, between between David and Joab. Um, one thing that I did find interesting, um, you read that um, the different types of uh, men that came and joined up with him. Uh, it says there in First Samuel 22 verse two, everyone who was in distress and Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them, about 400. So this was just a group of outcasts, you know, very angry, very anxious, um, uh, not, you know, you might compare it in modern times to, uh, you know, say, say unemployed, uh, hungry, um, pushed out by their family members, just just people that, that have no place to go and don't have a sense of direction in life, but they look to David uh, for that direction and for that uh, and for that support, and they got that. Um, so, so really, that's where that's where David and Joab um, come together in the story. 
you mentioned in, in your class that military success is key. Is it true to say that the ancients, and maybe even perhaps today, that leaders are viewed as good only if they're militarily successful? Yes, that's a good point. Um, I, I started to see as I was studying that, uh, and of course, as I just mentioned, that these type of people that were gathered to David, these mighty men, they had issues, uh, distress, debt, and, and personal bitterness. All of these things would seem to be uh, alleviated by someone who is a strong leader, someone who can, uh, say, uh, win a battle and, and gather uh, additional food or supplies from another group of people, um, someone who could provide these men with the things that they felt they were lacking in their lives. Um, of course, we know, uh, looking backwards in time, that David had a lot of other good qualities about him, uh, totally separate from uh, being a good military leader. Um, but a lot of times, those other qualities uh, came in conflict with uh, David and his mighty men. It brought, brought up some issues between them. Um, one of the themes from, from this class, this first class uh, at the end, uh, is, is the, the new rule that David instituted uh, amongst his, his group. And uh, it, it kind of made uh, some of them upset, particularly, you know, even Joab and, and some of the other, others closest to David. Um, you know, he, he had to kind of uh, pay for his sins, as it were, his, his, uh, his first a big stronghold city of Ziglag, which was donated to him by uh, the Philistine king Achish. Uh, he lost that city. Uh, it was attacked by the Amalekites, uh, kind of a, a revenge attack uh, for some of the uh, some of the um, raids that David and his men had carried out on on the Amalekites. So it was it was very disheartening. Uh, a lot of the women and children were taken off. A lot of their uh, goods were destroyed or or stolen, and the men were on the verge of turning on David. and And that's where that's where some of those other qualities come in uh, of David and his leadership. Uh, because obviously he he didn't uh, he didn't and wasn't able to rely on on just pure military skill at that low point in, in the in the story uh, he actually had to you know get on his knees and and pray and ask forgiveness to God for for kind of his rash uh, spree of of raids on, on the uh, on the Philistines and Amalekites and some of the other uh, tribes living in the area so. The men were on the verge of, of mutiny, if you, as it were, a rebellion, uh, kicking him out and replacing him. He could maybe possibly even been killed. But he was able to uh, establish uh, that he was subject to God and, and for the good and the bad. Uh, he asked forgiveness from God. He cried, it says in the text, and wept bitterly. And ultimately, the new rule that, that I referred to was that all of the people uh, within their group would get uh, distribution of the spoils of war that, that they would fairly and equally distribute uh, the goods that they had earned uh, through their struggle rather than only um, you know distributing it to uh, those who felt like they had you know contributed the most uh, to to the effort and um, it, basically what you summarize is summarize it as the concept of fair treatment uh, and also uh, uh, that um, to, to learn from your mistakes and ask forgiveness. That was the first time really in the text that we see David portrayed as having made a significant mistake with significant consequences there, the destruction of Ziglag and, and the uh, temporary kidnap of, uh, of all their family members and, and, and um, property. So 
uh, a low point for sure, but a point where the best leaders do exhibit true leadership. You had mentioned that David had received uh, some land in a city from King Achish of the Philistines. <clears throat> Can you explain to the listeners why David uh, was given a city by the Philistines? Yeah, you know, again, as I mentioned, um, David had already been anointed king years before by Samuel, but he didn't have a kingdom. The The reigning king in Israel was Saul, and Saul had word out uh, and intentions to kill David. So David was really on the run there for several years, uh, wandering around outside the territory of, of Israel at that time. He had made good friendships with other uh, kings of other nations, in particular uh, that king, Achish, uh, of the Philistines. And uh, you know he, he did a lot of uh, Achish's dirty work. He he was a he was a hired gun, if you will, and uh, and in return um, Achish had given him the stronghold of Ziglag. It's kind of neat. Uh, I I've I've got a picture there in the slides of a uh, uh, portion of of that area there in Israel. It may or may not have been the actual stronghold of Ziglag, but it's it is very representative of what the geography would have been like. It is a, a very high, flat, raised area in the desert. Um, you can see that it would be uh, a valuable possession to have for, for a mighty military leader like David, kind of a place of protection at night, up high, uh, good uh, viewing angles from all around, 360, able to see attackers coming coming and going. And, and that's why it's interesting in the text, we find that the only reason why Ziglag was captured and destroyed uh, by the Amalekites is because David was off, off raiding. He had he had left the stronghold and uh, and was engaging in just you know in some rash uh, attacks. And so, uh, otherwise, it's certain that that the Amalekites would not have been able to to conquer Ziglag and take it temporarily back from David, um, because because it's a strong position, uh, you know, militarily, geographically. Now, for, for David to uh, leave the land of Israel and to kind of take possession of Philistine land and do the work of uh, King Achish, king of the Philistines, who is a big enemy of Israel, I think a lot of uh, people reading this story have a hard time reconciling why David would uh, kind of do the dirty work, as you said, uh, for an enemy of Israel. Can you go into that a little bit? Yes, that's a good good question. I'm glad you asked because I I love to see uh, the themes early on and late in the Old Testament on how God uh, worked in the lives of these men and David and the mighty men and, and in fact all of Israel to show His plan to integrate the Gentiles eventually into into the hope of Israel and the promises of Abraham that uh, that God made to him, uh, the promises of the kingdom. So David was one of those those great forerunners. Uh, in the Old Testament, who, although a Jew by national heritage, by physical birth, uh, he was not afraid to interact with Gentiles, to to work with them, to show love and forgiveness to them, to um, you know, to 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 welcome them, as it were, just as on equal footing with natural-born Jewish people, um, if if they were willing to tolerate him and in in some cases even join with him in worshiping his God, his God Yahweh. So that was a situation where um, for a number of reasons David built uh, very, very important military uh, relationships with the Philistine kings and others 
in the years leading up to his uh, actual assumption of the throne there in Israel and, and Judah. And um, that that paid dividends multiple times over throughout his career as king because those although although those uh, friendships quickly died out when when it became apparent that his strength was rising and that that he was no longer just a vassal he wasn't just a you know a subservient um, nation state he he was looking to take charge and and be top dog there in, in the land of Israel uh, but but they had a healthy respect for David because they knew what he was capable of and his strategies and um, they also sheltered him they kept him they protected him and kept him alive during those early years when Saul was was out to was out to get him um, another interesting thing kind of a side note I I found it very fascinating to consider that. The text tells us that there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel uh, at the time uh, of this early period in David's life. And, and what's one of the reasons why they didn't have the ability to build weapons as a people with which they could adequately fight off the Philistines and the Amalekites and some of these other nations that, that uh, constantly had a, had a chokehold on the land of Israel. But it was David and his men, very experienced, of course, having having fought side by side with the Philistines, having learned the techniques of the Bronze Age, uh, learning how to uh, make the stronger weapons with the stronger metal alloys, and no doubt they carried that technique and technology with them into the land of Israel once Saul passed on and David became king. It is, I believe, one of the strong reasons why they were able to uh, take begin to take more territory and, and take firm control over the territory of Israel uh, and push back the Philistines and Amalekites and other nations and expand the empire um, over the over the next 30, 40 years after David became king. So David had a rocky relationship with King Saul. Um, at the beginning, they were very close. Uh, he was the armor bearer for King Saul. But later, uh, especially when Samuel... Uh, anointed David as king that obviously kind of pretty much ended their relationship from there on out so I think uh, people who study this story can understand that relationship being rocky however Joab and King David even though they're very close Joab seems to have also a rocky relationship with David can you go into a little bit of that and mm -hmm. explain that to our listeners yeah that that that's a good point so uh, it'll get uh, worse and worse as we go through, you know, the life of David. In the beginning, it's it's pretty close. Uh, David and Joab are tight. Uh, they uh, they they don't really have any any hangups, except for as I mentioned, uh, this first uh, first time that David suffers defeat uh, when Ziglag is is captured and temporarily uh, held and destroyed by by the Amalekites. Jo Joab was was one of those mighty men that was uh, was on the edge of. Um, kind of uh, kicking David to the curb, as it as it were. I, I noted uh, in one of the slides uh, a similarity in the text. You recall that um, when it tells us that the mighty men first joined with David, there, there were some characteristics of these mighty men. It talked about them being in debt, talked about them being in distress. It also talks about them being, quote, bitter in soul. And that's, so. so you think of these, as I mentioned, as these kind of angry, ornery men who 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 need who need guidance? Well, that same phrase is used later on uh, at the and when when Ziglag is, Ziglag is destroyed and, and and captured by the Amalekites, the men speak of stoning David in First Samuel thirty verse six, 
and it again refers to them as being bitter in soul. So it's kind of a kind of a catch twenty two. You know, David David has gathered these great warriors to him, but these these warriors are headstrong, and and they are you know subject to anger and uh, subject to rash decisions. So just as quickly as they uh, gravitated towards him and swore their allegiance toward him because they saw him as a as a as a source of salvation from their current predicament. Just as easily they were willing, if possible, to to discard him. And that same root bitterness which was inside their hearts uh, come out in a negative sense against David when, when Ziglag was destroyed. So it's an interesting thing to consider for us that when we when we struggle with personal feelings of, of anger and anxiety and distrust and, and we see something in our lives that might uh, help to counterbalance those feelings or to, to make us forget those feelings uh, for a moment, uh, we, we've got to be careful because the things in the world that we put our trust in to, to take care of our anxiety and our anger may not always be there for us. And the moment those things get pulled, uh, those root cause feelings of, of negative negativity and, and anger and, and anxiety, they might come right back and, and be used in the opposite way. And that's exactly what we see here. Um, these men, these men were willing to turn on David, and it took every ounce of prayer and and faith and patience to to pull them back from the brink, and uh, you know, kind of convince them that that they would make make it through uh, this this bad time. But uh, yes, but Joab, you know, that's just the first of many times that that Joab, who loved David in his heart so very much, was at the same time uh, quick and ready. To turn on him the moment something didn't quite go the way that he wanted it to, and and that will just keep getting worse and keep getting worse um, as the as the classes go on. Um, we note that of course Joab was uh, uh, David's nephew, uh, his uh, or I'm sorry cousin I believe cousin is his mother's sisters was his was Joab's uh, mother. Uh, so uh, there's a family relationship there, and it, of course family members. Uh, they're close to one another, but they also are more easily agitated with one another. You get you get real comfortable with with your family members, and and you kind of snap at them a little bit more maybe than that you would with just someone that you work with or, or just someone out out and about. So I see that playing a role too in in their in their love hate relationship. Now in your notes, something that I think a lot of people don't see a mighty warrior as, and that is. An artist and David uh, wrote several psalms. Uh, can, can you go into a little bit of detail of what was going on in his life and how his uh, songs reflected uh, his current reality? Well, I, I, it's kind of hard to put ourselves in his position. You know, he he did believe in God. Uh, he he had a great faith in God. God had worked miracles in his life even from a young age. We're told that. You know, he killed the lion and the bear as just a young boy there protecting the sheep uh, as a shepherd in the fields. So he knew God. He knew God's presence. But certainly at this time in his life, it was everything was opposite. Uh, he, you know, probably didn't feel very close to God. Uh, God's promises weren't being fulfilled. In fact, it looked to all uh, for all intents and purposes to be completely contradicted. Uh, he we didn't have the kingdom. Saul was out to kill him. Uh, you know, he has he has the love hate relationship with with his mighty men. That he needs them and they need him. But you know, just the slightest problem, and 
and things could go bad. He's on the run. He's living in caves. Uh, it's hard to tell where, you know, from day to day where his food's going to come from or if someone is going to uh, stab him in the back or, or stab him in the front. You know, it's you know, either way, you know. Um, but he did he did show that resiliency. He did show that despite all of those things in his life, he, he wasn't going to let go of God. And I think God repaid him for that. Uh, God, God is, uh, the text in the New, the New Testament tells us God is near to those who are near to him. And, and, and he protects those who call out to him. And, and we see that in the Psalms over and over and over again. Um, I'm certain that David spent many sleepless nights lying, you know, looking at, up at the stars and just wondering, you know, God, why am I here? Is this, is this really all there is? Am I going to be on the run for the rest of my life? I, I see no chance whatsoever that I'm, I'm going to be able to, to take the throne of Israel. And, uh, you know, just even, even being in the presence of the Philistines, knowing you know, he's got to put on that game face every day and, and lie and fake it with the Philistines and, and be, be there a hired gun and knowing that, you know, these, these Philistines don't care about Yahweh. They hate Yahweh and they would just as soon as, as kill him as, as love him when they got the opportunity. Um, but he stayed strong, and he and he and he set that good example there. As I mentioned, uh, when Ziglag was destroyed, he prayed, he cried, he fasted, and he came up with a solution. You know, he got up, he got up, and 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 fought again. But he also realized that you can't play favorites. You've got to you've got to spread uh, God's provisions to all. And uh, he stood up. He stood up to those leaders of the mighty men who were not willing to go along with that, and they backed down. Um, so I, it was his first. If it was if not only his first triumph in the face uh, of of significant internal controversy, uh, but uh, it uh, it established him going forward. Um, there there were many other issues that would that we'll discuss, of course, that pop up from time to time. But each time something bad happens to David, and whether it's because he's made a mistake or someone else has made a mistake, um, he. He tries to to make it right and respond in a way that God would have him to respond. He he's one thing about David is he he almost never and I say almost he almost never compounds mistakes with another mistake. He he is willing to stop, absorb the consequences, 180 degree shift back towards the right, and 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 follow that right accepting uh, the consequences that come you know, and acknowledging uh, what he did was wrong. So we see those themes interwoven throughout all of the Psalms, of course, um, but, but we see where those themes come from when we read the story of David. Now, David's first offensive was in the city of Kyla, and like what you just said, this kind of doesn't go the way he thought it would go and he was able to overcome. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, basically uh, David David is learning what it's like to be the little guy in the land of the Philistines. Uh, he, As I said, he's a hired gun, uh, and the Philistines uh, would sooner or later kill him than, than love him. But he feels bad. He sympathizes with this, with this little uh, city of Kyla, and he kind of... He kind of from this point on he he realizes that you know he's he's supposed to be the leader for the common man he's not he's not just 
looking for a throne that he can sit on high and dictate terms and, and just absorb the wealth and pleasure of being a king. But he knows what it's like to be, the, as I said, the shepherd taking care of the sheep on the farm, being with the common man. And, and, and these mighty men are all poor and distressed and common men, as it were, of, of social class, uh, not common, uh, obviously, with their, with their military skills and, and strategy, ability to strategize, but just, just regular lay people. And, and the same thing happens here. Uh, Non-Israelites, of course, but in the city of Kyla, we have just a, a normal, low-class, regular group of people that are being taken advantage of by uh, the, the, the big guns in town, which are the Philistines. And so David, you know, he, he, he respects the Philistines. He doesn't want to, you know, make them unduly angry, but he also feels that sympathy in his heart for the people of Kyla, and, and he wants to protect them and support them in the way that he can. And, and in return, you know, uh, they, they really didn't want to have anything to do with them. They're, they're, as I said there in, in the slides, there was no gratitude, and in fact, betrayal. The, the Philistines came a-knocking and asked, hey, have you, have you seen David? Do you know where he's at? Uh, and and they, they kind of ratted him out. And so he had to escape again to another location, uh, unnamed location in the wilderness, um, always on the run. So no thanks uh, for, for his effort. And um, it, it's one of those things that could easily have demoralized him. Uh, but uh, he he has that resiliency. Um, we're going to keep going back to to this over and over throughout the classes is that David is not a perfect leader. We can certainly analyze his actions and see you know, where he went wrong and see what decisions he could have made better, but that's not really the lesson of David I, I've come to learn. The lesson of David is the ability that when he makes the mistake, how does he handle it after the fact? Does he, does he try to hide it? Does he admit it? Does he ask forgiveness? Does he uh, uh, go about a path of reconciliation and uh, and repayment? Those are the really the key lessons of David. I think we need to pick out uh, as as believers today because we're all going to make you know the mistakes. Uh, you know, obviously, as human beings, as sinners, the lesson is not to you know armchair quarterback David and 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 in essence even our own lives. It's it's really about how do we handle. Uh, the fallout from our mistakes and how to, how do we uh, honor God in doing that? And so, um, even though the the men of Kyla did not uh, return good for good for David, he he um, he didn't get angry with them as maybe Joab and some of the others might have done and just go on go on raid them, go on a raiding party and just destroy their city because they were they were thankless for for the work that he had done tried to do for them. And that's really what makes a good leader. Right? You brought up, brought up a point there at the end. What the, kind of the theme of all these classes, you know, is that Joab was was the leader. In essence, he rose to the position of leadership of the group of mighty men that stayed with David for his whole career. And we want to know from a biblical perspective what makes a real mighty man. And it's not being a good uh, a military uh, a fighter. It's not. It's not physical skill in battle. That's really what what the, the purpose of the classes comes down to, and which is exactly why Joab isn't the exemplary mighty man. The exemplary mighty man is David, the leader of the mighty men, and it's all for reasons which you know generally have nothing to do with what looks on the surface to be you know an excellent military leader. So that's that's the irony there of 
of what it takes to be a mighty man. Can you talk about the relationship uh, of David and Joab and how it parallels and foreshadows a relationship in the New Testament? Yes, yes, thank you. So I've, I've found uh, in, in the studies that there, there are a lot of strong parallels between uh, David and Joab and Christ and Judas. So obviously um, uh, David uh, selects Joab uh, uh, for several different reasons to be uh, one of the leaders of the mighty men, the group. And uh, similarly, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus selects Judas uh, to be one of the key 12 uh, disciples. But uh, although uh, things start out well in both cases, uh, they turn south quickly. And um, really, again, we want to look at how David interacts and handles with Joab when those things turn turn bad. Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ, how he handles Judas when he uh, admits to the group there that uh, he knew that he would be the one to betray him. And he knew that, in fact, when he selected him. And uh, but but just as Jesus did not immediately and proactively uh, uh, excommunicate Judas, as it were, from the group of the Twelve. Uh, he lets him stay. He offers him every opportunity at redemption and um, faithfulness. And same with, with David. There's decisions that David makes early on where you, you think any good leader would have uh, immediately uh, kicked Joab out and put him on the chopping block for, for um, disobedience and uh, rebellion. And, um, the, you know, we, we want to run a tight ship here with the mighty men. Uh, we, we don't want to have an, a mutiny, and we can't have leadership uh, butting heads. But David doesn't do that. He, he lets Joab stay on. He deals with him. He is very patient with him. Perhaps there was an element of that, you know, I can't really let him go. He's, he's, he's my cousin, as it were. Uh, he's my family. I, I, I've got to cut him some slack. Uh, but on the other hand, um, we'll see later on that um, you know David makes some pretty pretty poor decisions, uh, some of the worst decisions of his life, and really that puts him in a bind. Uh, from then on, even if he had wanted to get rid of Joab uh, for insurrection and for rebellion and for uh, you know contradictory opinions, um, he couldn't have. And and that's really the irony, the beautiful scriptural irony between between uh, David and Joab and, and Christ and Judas is that he knew the role that Judas would play. He did offer, um, you know, the opportunities for, for forgiveness and for making the right choices, but ultimately Judas did not do that, and neither did Joab. But both David and Christ hold out the olive branch and maintain that relationship in the inner circle to the very end. And I think that, again, that speaks to um, something that's very difficult for us to do today. Uh, it's easy when someone is in our lives um, to, uh, especially even, you know, within as Christians, uh, uh, another another believer, a fellow believer, we who just rubs us the wrong way and just really contradicts things and causes problems. And, and it's easier to wash our hands and have nothing to do with people like that. Uh, but uh, in the spirit of Christ, uh, to the extent possible, um, you know, the example of, of David and Christ is that uh, we continue to offer the opportunities for forgiveness. We continue to offer the opportunities for um, love and inclusivity, um, which is very hard to do. Um, so we'll, we'll follow that thread. Uh, but definitely, um, I think that probably Christ read 
the story many times, knew it by heart, uh, sections, no doubt, uh, between David and Joab, and he would learn how to deal with those men in his life that were most opposed to him, most angry with him, uh, seeking to destroy him, uh, and, and learn to see what David had done in those centuries past with his his closest family member, who one of his closest, who turned out to be one of his uh, worst, worst enemies. You didn't mention this in any of your classes, I don't believe, but I was wondering, just for our listeners' curiosity and my curiosity, is there any parallel between David and Saul's relationship and anyone else in the Bible? Well, that's a good question. Um, David and Saul, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, it's possible. Uh, obviously, there's parallels there with uh, with with David and Jonathan uh, and, and close relationships. Uh, we think of... Uh, Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament, and and uh, and things like that. Uh, Paul and, and Timothy, perhaps even a better example. But uh, David and Saul, hmm, kind of like a, a father figure. Um, originally close. Uh, David trying to please. Um, you you could you could say uh, maybe uh, I don't know, kind of like a Jacob and. Um, Isaac type thing where you know Jacob's got that trickster trickster uh, uh, head on his shoulders and he and he's trying to earn uh, earn the love of his father who who would prefer Esau um, but uh, yeah I'll have to think about that but uh, good question so Rick where can listeners uh, follow your latest work and read your past uh, articles yeah, I've got uh, several articles uh, posted up on under my name, uh, Rick Brower, on academia.edu. Uh, there's a couple of uh, preview chapters of an upcoming book. Uh, the book is titled The Enigma of Creation, and uh, I've got uh, a couple of uh, kind of teaser chapters there uploaded, as well as uh, some uh, study work I've done on, uh, on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, just kind of uh, some textual analysis, uh, trying to understand um, the theological themes. And those those papers are up there on my academia profile as well. All right, Rick, I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I will have this on the uh, blog. It'll be at religiouslearning.com, and it's going to be episode three. Uh, I appreciate you coming, Rick. Great. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. God bless.